0: Uh, as we continue to take a close look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, you'll probably notice that we've rebranded uh, the book of Mark um, series, and now we're calling it The King and His Cross. The first half of the book up to chapter eight was really about um, what we branded it was, who do you say that I am? That was the whole purpose of the first eight chapters of Mark is Jesus is showing us who he really is so that we would know not the cultural version of who Jesus is or not the sum total of who we were thinking he should be, but the Bible actually declares with, with incredible authority and credibility and decisiveness exactly who Jesus is as Lord and God and King and the author and creator and authority of all things. That's who Jesus, the son of God is. And we learn that throughout the first eight chapters of Mark. And then you'll notice as you continue reading through Mark, there's a gear shift in the life and ministry of Jesus. And the whole second half of the book of Mark, he talks more about why he came, first half, who he is, second half, why he came. And so that's why we're calling the second half of the book of Mark, the king and his cross, because you're gonna hear Jesus say a lot uh, uh, talking about his death that is gonna be coming on the cross. We'll see that a lot through the rest of the book of Mark. Hopefully by now you're in Mark chapter 10. I did, I did need to remind you and mention to you, um, we had quite, quite a big um, response to the last three weeks uh, that we've had conversations about marriage on. And so what we did is we launched, uh, we are launching some groups around a resource that we have, we have just learned to love and it's called Sacred Marriage. Um, and it's a, we have a book and we've got video study for it and we've got all kinds of resources for it. But um, we're gonna launch small groups just for a short season based on marriage and based on this resource called Sacred Marriage. Um, and so in order to connect with that, Um, The way to do that, do you have the slide that has the text thing on it back there, Cam? The text slide where they can text a certain number to get the info, is that up? Or should I just tell them? All right, let's see if they got it, because this will make it easier if you can see it. You're going to text the word sacred if you're interested in knowing more about joining a group. You're going to text the word sacred to, let's see if they can find it. I know the number, 4561262. That's our text number. So here you go, there's the number. 863 456 1262 is our text database. So text the word sacred to that number, 863 456 1262. And that will kind of prompt us. Our machine will then send you a sign up form, and then we'll go from there trying to get you connected to a group that's either kind of in your region of the community or kind of based on your season of life. We're, we're going to do that work in the back office to get you guys connected with the right group. I would encourage you to do that. Now, as so we continue in the life, of ministry, life and ministry of Jesus, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, as Jesus and his disciples are traveling from town to town, continuing to do the work in ministry that he came to do, continuing to declare to the world that Jesus is in fact the hope of the world, continuing to heal and serve and do all the sweet stuff that we've seen Jesus do throughout his life, and, ministry. and then he comes up on this very famous moment. Some of you may have even heard of this story. Uh, even if you haven't grown up in church or read much of the scriptures, this moment has something to say to us. And so let's take a look at it today in verse 17. And he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey. And a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, say good teacher. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. Huh. That's a question that, you know, every good movie you've ever seen, somebody was asking, we've probably asked ourselves all throughout history, humanity's been asking like, what can we do to inherit eternal life? And so he asked Jesus this question, a question that was swirling around in society at that time that different rabbis and leaders were weighing in on. And Jesus says to him, notice Jesus's response, doesn't even acknowledge or answer the subject of the question, which is how do I get eternal life? Jesus actually says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let me just make clear, Jesus wasn't saying, I'm not good. You've messed it up. Only God the Father is good. Jesus was saying, no, if you're calling me good, you need to understand that there is only one good, and, his, and he is God. And this is Jesus' way of saying to this man, if I'm good, then I'm God. You picking up what I'm putting down? And Jesus says, if I'm good, then I'm God, because only God is good. He's just making a little deposit for this man to see how he responds, see what he believes, see where he's at in his faith journey, see who he says Jesus is. And he says, now you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, tell lies in court. Don't uh, uh, make sure, yeah, definitely, don't honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Lord, God, king. No, he said, what would he say? Teacher. Obviously he ain't picking up what Jesus was putting down here. Teacher, I've been a really good boy for a really long time. I've kept all the rules. Aren't you impressed? I've done it right, man. I've been super religious. I've done all the right things. I'm above board. Everybody knows I'm a really good guy. Super moral, like even my friends aren't as moral as I am. He says, all these things I've kept since my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Say, loved him. Jesus moved with great and sincere compassion for this young man who obviously has some misplaced identity issues, who has found his identity in his morality and in his perfect, or in his personal perception of his own perfection. Say that five times fast. Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, You lack one thing though. I I get that you feel perfect and all because you're more moral than most of your friends and family, but there's one thing that you're still lacking. I want you to sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And I want you to come follow me. You see what the response to the rich young ruler was, the rich young man, he was disheartened by the saying, and he went away sorrowful, Because he had great possessions. Really interesting moment in the ministry of Jesus, one that had the disciples shocked at Jesus' response to this whole situation. Let me kind of summarize what's happened here. Jesus is telling this guy, like, I recognize that you have put your faith and your morality and in your wealth and in your accomplishments and all of the things that you have done in your life. But I also acknowledge that you are not satisfied. That's why you're here asking for more. And you perceive that I am the one that can give you access to the more that you are looking for. But Jesus says to him, I want you to imagine your life without your wealth and without your power and without your inventory and without your houses, and without your servants. I want you to imagine your life as if you didn't have any of that anymore, and I was all that you had left. Would that be enough for you? And the rich young man says, not even close. No, as a matter of fact, like, I, I was hoping that you, you would give me what I need, what I believe to, that I need to add to this already great life that I have. And I've been told you're the one that has access to it. I think that what you have would be a great addition to what I have. So like, let's talk about this and let's make a deal. But I can't live without all this other stuff. I wanna just add what you got to my life. You can't be my all in all, Jesus, are you crazy? You're not enough in and of yourself. I need you plus everything else that I got. And then I'll be satisfied. And Jesus says it doesn't work like that. This is Jesus giving a nod to what he would say in the book of John. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. But the young man was disheartened by Jesus' response and he walked away sad and discouraged because he was a young man of great wealth. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But let's pay close attention really to what Jesus is saying to this young man, because I don't want us to miss what he's saying to us this morning. And Jesus was saying to this young man, you came to me for what I can offer. And my question is, do you want what I can offer or do you want me? We really need to wrestle with this question, Grace Bible, because the reality of it is, is this is one of the biggest cultural misunderstandings that we have in our day and time as well. I wonder how many of us throughout our lives or even this morning, like we have come to Jesus because of what we believe that he is able to offer. But what we wanted was something from his hands. We had no concern about his heart. What we wanted was what he can do for us. We had no intentions of he himself. Listen, have we come to Jesus for what he can do? Or have we come to Jesus for who he is? Is the question that we're learning from the rich young ruler here. I hear this get messed up all the time, and it's, I know it's well-intentioned when people say this, but I just want to make sure I'm starkly clear about this because I don't want us to believe this falsehood or this lie in our lives. I want you to know Jesus for who he really is, and he is worthy of your worship and all of your affection, Grace Bible like I hear it said all the time, like for folks trying to get their loved ones, they're, they're trying to evangelize their loved ones and they'll say things like, well, you wanna go to heaven, don't you? Man, I don't wanna go to heaven without you, brother. I, I, want, I want you to be in heaven with me. And of course the loved one says, yeah, heaven sounds pretty good. At least what I believe in my mind for heaven to be. So how do I get that? And they're like, well, you just gotta come over here and pray this prayer with me and give your life to Jesus. Let me ask you in that scenario, What is the prize? What is the thing that is being worshiped and longed for? Heaven is the prize. Jesus is just the door. He's just an object. He is the means to the end. He's just a pass-through. He's not God and king. He's not what we wanted. We just wanted heaven, and I heard that the only way to get that was giving life to Jesus. Doesn't sound like if heaven is the prize, then we've actually given our life to Jesus. We've given our life to the idea of heaven, we tap Jesus on the shoulder to ask if he'd give it to us, just like the rich young ruler. I hear it happen at a funerals a lot. I know, you know, in our, that moment of grieving, you know, a, a loved one will get up and speak and say, oh, if y'all ever want to see old Uncle Joe again, if we ever want to see Uncle Joe again, you better give your life to Christ Jesus. Let me ask you in that situation, what is the prize and what is the goal to be gained? Uncle Joe, not Jesus. Jesus is just a door. We've made Uncle Joe the prize. Listen, there are a lot of benefits in walking with Jesus. Yes, an eternal life in heaven is one of those, but that is not the prize Jesus is. You hear what I'm saying? He is the one that is worthy of your worship and your affection. You hear what I'm saying? So we get into these situations where we're, man, I got a big interview coming up this week. Got a big business deal about to go down. And some half-cocked Christian friend comes to you and says, oh, well, if you want it to work out in your favor, you better give your life to Jesus. You better get right with the Lord if you want that that job or that business deal to work out in your favor. Let me ask you again, what's the prize in that situation? What's the goal to be gained? It was the job, not Jesus. We do that in a million different situations in our life. So many of us, because we were sick and wanted healing in our life, we decided, you know what, I want to be healed. And so if the only way to do that is what my grandmama told me is I got to pray this prayer and give my life to Jesus, then I'm going to be healed. Listen, what was the goal to be gained there? What was the price? Healing, not Jesus. What was being worshipped? What was being sought after and longed for and bowed before? Healing and not Jesus. Listen, healing is a good thing. Jesus does do miraculous healings. Even still to this day, we believe that with all of our heart. We see it happen all the time. Yes, heaven is promised for those who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus will work in and through everyone that is a follower of Jesus to accomplish his perfect will for their lives. Yes, but let me just remind you, he is not a means to an end. He is the means and the end. He is the goal to be gained. He is the one worthy of our worship. Anything that death itself can take away from you is not worthy of your worship. All of those things that we prop ourselves up against in life, that we try to use Jesus to leverage to get for us, all of those things are going to go away one day anyways. So he's not foolish enough to allow those things to satisfy us. He wants us to keep coming to the end of ourself and the end of our rope to recognize that we are dissatisfied in everything in this life and Jesus is the only one who can satisfy us. We just sang the song, I will build my life upon your love. Some of y'all really sing it. I haven't even seen hands going up. Lord, have mercy. He is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Well, we love singing the song. We love lifting our hands and shouting it out. But do we believe it? Is Jesus the foundation, the centerpiece? Or is Jesus some side dish, some addendum, some garnish on the plate of your life? We learn from the rich young ruler, we can't make that mistake in our lives. Pastor Tim Keller even put it like this. He says, if you want Jesus to be your Savior, then you have to replace what you're already looking to as a Savior. Let me say that to you again because I didn't put it on the screen. If you want Jesus to be your Savior, you have to replace what you're already looking to as your Savior, Pastor Tim Keller as Jesus has this really firm and direct conversation with this rich young ruler. You notice what happened after the rich young ruler heard the words of Jesus and then walked away disheartened and sad. You see Jesus and the disciples response to that situation. Check this out. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, man, when do y'all go get that cat? He must not understood what I said. When y'all go grab him and bring him back here? We need to talk. I think his feelings are hurt because he didn't hear what he wanted to hear from Jesus. Y'all bring him on back here so I can make him feel better about the situation. No, Jesus looked around, he said to his disciples, he said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That's interesting that he would say something like that. Shocking even. And the disciples were amazed at his words too. They were just as weirded out and shocked by by the words as we are. Like, what's up with that? So Jesus repeats himself and says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for the camel a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What's up with that? And they also, the disciples, were exceedingly astonished, as shocked as we are. What do you mean? What's wrong with rich guys? The disciples were exceedingly astonished and turned to Jesus and says, what are you talking about? Well, then who can be saved if a guy like that can't be? And Jesus says to them, with man... It is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Did, did you catch Jesus' response to the poor fellow that didn't hear what he wanted to hear and walked away? Listen, he came to Jesus, probably had gone to other religious leaders in his community, knowing he was above reproach morally. He was extremely wealthy, extremely generous. He was known for his generosity. He comes to these different religious leaders, ask them the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And they said, man, you got it made. Like, you're in. Like, heaven will be a better place with you in it. Trust me, God wants you in it. But he comes up to Jesus, and that's not the response that he got. That's not the response that he got at all. And when Jesus says, well, to be frank with you, like, unless I am your object of worship, unless I am the one who you submit to and give your life to, then... Man, it ain't going to happen. Eternal life in heaven is not for you. The disciples are shocked. The young man is shocked. And the young man walks away like just like, man, so disheartened by that response. He was expecting for Jesus to say what other religious leaders would have said to him at the time. And said, oh, man, like you're so awesome. Of course God's going to let you in. That's not what he heard. And did you notice Jesus' response as this poor fella kind of walks off with his tail tucked between his legs? do you, you see that part in this story where Jesus like ran after this guy and said, Whoa, stop right there, man. I, I get the sense that what I said offended you, and I feel so bad, man. I didn't mean to discourage you by what I was saying. I tell you what, come here, come here, come here, come here. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. Let's negotiate. Come on, come on. We're reasonable men, we're both leaders. We understand how to make a transaction. Let's just negotiate here. All right, you want eternal life in heaven. I got it. So how about this? If you're not willing to give all of yourself to me, I'll tell you what. I'll give you heaven and eternal life. If you'll just give me part of you. Now, listen, hear me out. Hear me out. Not just any part of you. If you'll just give me the parts of you that you don't want, you give that to me. And if you'll just do me one more solid Sunday morning when they have church down there, I want you to come down. I want you to pray the prayer with the preacher. And I want you to just give to me all the parts of you that you don't want. And as long as you'll do that, we're good. We're good. You see where that happened in the story? Now, Jesus told him the truth. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that wasn't good enough for the young man. The young man walked away and Jesus led him. There wasn't nothing to negotiate. It's not that Jesus wasn't moved with compassion. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I'm sure it broke Jesus' heart that the man wouldn't stand there and continue to have a conversation with him and have a better understanding of Jesus' place in the pecking order of all of eternity and his authority. But the The man said, no, I wanted you to add something to my already perfect life. And if you can't add it, you're actually wanting to take away some of my stuff. You know what? This ain't going to work for me. And he walked away discouraged. Jesus didn't chase him down. He didn't negotiate. He didn't water down the truth of the word of God. Jesus stood firm on the reality that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And just to make a point, Jesus gives us this crazy analogy saying it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye eye of a needle than for a guy like that to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's like, what's up with that? Like, let's break that down real quick so we know what we're looking at. There's some major cultural things kind of in the backdrop here that if we're just looking at face value, we're going to miss But I want you to know why the disciples were so shocked like we were. Like, what do you mean rich guys can't make it into heaven? Like, what's up with that? There was a cultural backdrop at play that I want to make sure that we see so we understand what Jesus was really saying. Some of you have heard this metaphor before that Jesus uses and said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. That analogy of camel passing through the eye of the needle... um, Jesus, uh, to be honest, like most, a lot of pastors throughout recent modern history have actually adopted the story and the metaphor of telling y'all that in ancient Israel, there was a tiny little gate, the smallest gate in the city wall. It was called the eye of the needle. And for a camel to pass through that tiny little gate, he would have to unload his burdens. Take, they'd have to take the load off of his back. And he would have to enter through the eye of the needle on his knees. Ooh. Like, man, that's powerful. That's powerful, man. But it's not true. It's not true. Uh, there is no evidence of such a gate existing in ancient Israel called the eye of the needle. It is a cool story, and a lot of preachers slang that one out there because it's fun and you can do pull-ups on that but the reality of it is is Jesus was just giving us this like starkly contrasting metaphor of obvious impossibility Jesus either used the word camelos which is literally camel the largest land animal that they would have had access to or understood in their culture said it's easier for a camelos to pass through the eye of a needle the smallest household good you would have had at your house or jesus used the word camelos in their language which would have meant rope either one you can use bottom line is it ain't happening it ain't happening it's impossible it's impossible (laughs) but what about why is he saying it's impossible like camel passing through the eye of a needle why is he saying it's it's impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That seems messed up. What's wrong with being rich? Well, just so you know, Jesus isn't saying anything bad about gaining earthly wealth through honest means. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. Wealth wasn't the problem here. Jesus is actually addressing a very cultural issue in their time because it was believed, listen to me, because it's believed in our culture too. So if you checked out, check back in. Trust me, I'm going to circle back around to this one and do some pull-ups at the end. It was believed at the time in their particular culture that the more moral and godly and above reproach someone was in their life, the more likely it was that God was going to bless them with material wealth. All right, We call that the prosperity gospel here in our time. The more moral and godly and above reproach you are religiously, morally, the more God is going to bless you with material wealth. Well, all the disciples weren't poor. Some of them owned boats because they were fishing fishermen. One of them was a tax collector. One of them was an accountant. They weren't dirt poor guys. But there was also an understanding, look at the life of Jesus who had next to nothing born into poverty, this is God in the flesh. Mary, born living in poverty, this is the woman that God chose to bear his son. So it's not good behavior equals good earthly things from God, but that's what was believed at the time. In addition to that, it was also recorded in a a, a sacred text that they have, which was like their civil and ceremonial law called the Talmud it was recorded in there that Jews believed that with enough alms, in other words, if you gave enough money away to the poor and needy, that a man could actually purchase his salvation. So let me summarize this moment for you that's happening so we can see why the disciples were so amazed at Jesus's response. It was believed that the more moral someone was, the more wealth that they would have, and the more wealth that they would have, the more they could give away, And the more that they could buy sacrifices and make offerings, the more likely they would be to be able to purchase their own redemption. And so here's a guy that's got it all together. He's a moral man. He's a wealthy man. He's given tons of wealth away for all practical purposes in the context of their culture. The disciples are looking at him saying, this guy's like super religious. God's definitely got to be pleased with this guy. Look at his wealth. Look at his generosity. Like this is the guy. But they're astonished when Jesus says, "It's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a guy like that to make it into heaven." And the disciples were amazed, astonished. The Bible says, "Shocked." That just blew up a cultural norm in their face that they weren't expecting Jesus to say. And they said, "Well, Jesus, like if if a guy like that can't enter the kingdom of heaven and be saved, then who can? He's got it all together." In Jesus' response to the disciples, verse 27, you see that? Pay close attention. Did you see that? Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. Manly methods, manly modes, manly efforts, it's impossible. You can't, you can't, be, you can't work your way into right standing with God. Isaiah wasn't joking when he said that your righteousness is like filthy rags before the holiness of God. Like you can't earn your way into the good graces of God. He said, well, man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's interesting. We take those verses and we throw that, that with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. We'll throw that verse at anything we want to be a possibility, won't we? What is he specifically talking about right here in context? What Jesus is saying that with man it's impossible, but with God it is possible. What's the one, what's the specific thing we're talking about right here? Salvation. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. To be made right with God. To be able to be with him once and for all, for all time, for all of eternity. Celebrating his glory with all of those that have also gone to be with him, that have believed in him and trusted in him as Lord and King. There's two things I want to make sure that we don't leave this conversation today without talking about. I want to make sure we get this because it was a cultural misunderstanding of their time that Jesus just blew up. And it's a cultural misunderstanding of our time. And I want to make sure we get this thing right. If you checked out, check back in. Let me break this down. The first thing I want you to see, it is still a very common belief. Let me say it again for all the people in the back. It is still a very common belief online, folks. It is still a very common belief. And I'm not talking about people out there, I'm talking about all of us in here. I bet there is a high percentage of people in this room that believe this. Regardless of hearing us teach week after week the word of God, listen, it is a very common, commonly held belief that eternal life with God in heaven is offered to anyone that is a good person. In other words, if our good outweighs our bad, God's gonna kinda owe us a solid and we get invited into heaven. You won't find that anywhere in the scriptures, go look for it. As a matter of fact, you're gonna find the opposite. You're gonna see Jesus say things like, only God is good, you ain't even close. You're gonna see the apostle Paul say, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, not by 10 inches, but by a million miles. You're going to see Isaiah say your righteousness is like filthy rags. At the end of your life, there's not some cosmic scale that weighs out your good and bad. Where you're going to stand before the judgment and what, if you had enough good that outweighed your bad, that you're going to get invited then to spend eternity with heaven. There is no such thing that's going to happen like that. Jesus told the rich young ruler the way to eternal life. He says, I am the way. He says, follow me. Follow me, follow me. And Jesus said, this isn't up for negotiation. As John said so clearly, I've said it 10 times, I'll probably say it 10 times again, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father but through him. That's it. No negotiations necessary. I know we may feel like that's narrow-minded of God to do things like that because we think, you know what, that's disrespectful. And I'm offended that he would only give us one way to be made right with God. But listen, Jesus could have gave you 10,000 ways. You would have wanted 10,001. So he just gave us one. Make it easy. You hear what I'm saying? Like, thank you, Lord. Folks like me need it simple. Jesus says, it's this simple. I am the way. Surrender your life. Give your life to me. I am worthy of it. Jesus says all throughout the scriptures, He is worthy to be worshipped. He is a trustworthy King and God. The first thing I want you to know: you you can't earn your way into God's good graces to be made right with Him. Second thing I want to make sure we know: the man's wealth wasn't the problem; his worship was. It wasn't the fact that he had a pile of money. It was the fact that his money was his savior. He didn't want Jesus as his savior, he wanted Jesus for his fringe benefits. Man's wealth wasn't the problem, it was his worship. This is one one of those really starkly clear moments in the scripture that may be a little tough to swallow for some, but this is one of those clear moments that it's undeniable, listen to me, that if Jesus isn't your Lord, then he isn't your savior. I know some folks would like to debate that with me and have a different opinion about that, but I I agree with my opinion on that. And I believe there's no way around it scripturally. There's no such thing as fire insurance. Just to try to avoid the punishment of hell, there's no such thing as like getting the benefits of Jesus without the life of Jesus being your Lord and King. You hear what I'm saying? Like if Jesus isn't your Lord, then He's not your Savior. And I got to make that clear because, like, there's plenty of us through our lives, we've been kind of driving in the ditch. And we never really came to Jesus Christ and surrendered to him as Lord and King. We came to this idea of Jesus because somebody told us, well, if you want to see old Uncle John again, you got to pray this prayer. Somebody told us that if we wanted our life to work out a certain kind of way, well, then you gotta come to Jesus. We made everything else the prize. Even, listen close, I don't want you to make a mistake. Even some of us have made heaven the prize. That's our savior. Eternal life. And yeah, eternal life is promised to those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and King. But heaven's not the goal to be gained, Jesus is. Heaven's not the king worthy of worship, Jesus is. Anything south of that is not enough, only Jesus is. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. This is why Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. The confession of Jesus is Lord, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it's not some empty confession that's motivated by us wanting one of the benefits that the family of God gets. This is a deep conviction that motivates the confession that Jesus is actually Lord. That our mouth would cry out when our heart is declaring that Jesus is Lord, he's King. He is enough. He's more than enough. He's not the side dish or the fringe benefit or the add-on or the garnish. He's the centerpiece. He's the main course. He's the only one. Everything else is the side dish. Everything else is a benefit that we get to enjoy. So let me unburden you this morning. If you find yourself in either one of those camps, like, where the rich young ruler was this morning. Let me unburden your heart this morning and remind you, on your best day, you will never be able to live a life so moral and so religious that it will satisfy the holiness of God. On your best day, you won't pull it off and you darn sure won't pull it off with all your days. We fall so far short of the glory of God according to the book of Romans that we needed a savior to step in who could meet the holy standard of God for us on our behalf. What God's law demanded of us, holiness, perfection. What his law demanded of us, his grace provided for us. And he was the provision. God himself got up off the throne of heaven and shed his royal robes and put on skin and moved into the neighborhood and went by the name Jesus. You wanna know how bad he wants to be near to you? He moved into the neighborhood to be near to you. You know how bad Jesus wants to spend the rest of eternity with you? He came to pay a price that we couldn't pay so that we could be with him forever. He's crazy about you. And no, you are not too far gone. You are not too sinful or too wretched or too broken. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to bring healing to the weary. He came to bring A straight path where there was a crooked one. He came to give us a new life in Him, not just a benefit to add to our old life. So I wanted to unburden your heart this morning if you were carrying the weight of not being good enough for God. I wanted to agree with you. You ain't even close that didn't change his radical, undying love for you, that he was willing to pull out all the stops to make you good enough for him, to cleanse you and wash you white as snow through the blood of Jesus on the cross so that you could be made whole and made new and transformed and be made right with him once and for all, for all time. That's the good news of the gospel all throughout the New Testament. We cling to that hope. And I wanna speak to the fact that if you came to Jesus with an ulterior motive, thinking that he was a doorway to gain something that you wanted and you missed Jesus in the whole process, it ain't too late for you. You got breath in those lungs and a heart beating in your chest right now and that's the grace of God, wanting to continue to invite you to see him as the Lord and King that he truly is, that you might lay yourself down before him as King that you might give to him back the things that he's given to you, your life and your family and your business and your hopes and your future, saying, Lord, this is all yours anyways. Use me as you would for your glory and for the good of those that you placed around me. Listen, let's pray together and I'm gonna ask you the question, like, as you bow your heads, I wanna know, like, listen, I don't get any extra credit in heaven for you to choose Jesus as Lord and King but I want it for you. Have you confessed Jesus as the Lord and King of your life and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Did you roll up in here thinking you were gonna earn your way by yourself? Did you come up in here thinking that you had gained Jesus but realized you were actually trying to gain something else? come to a place of acknowledging and confessing that he is lord and king of your life and if you haven't why not right now it's between you and him you don't need to come up here pray any magical prayers this is between you and god you confessing that he is god and you are not even close that he is worthy of worship he is worthy of your life and the whole thing not just the parts that you don't want The Bible says when you do that, when you confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God arose him from the grave after his crucifixion on the cross, that you, yes you, even you, will be saved. That's really good news. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Not my words, God's words. I wonder if there's anybody in here this morning that for the first time in their life they're making that realization. And you are already confessing in your heart to God that he is Lord. and you have come into this final understanding now that your heart has been awakened to what real salvation in Jesus is. And if you're making that confession in your heart to the Lord this morning for the first time, I want you to just acknowledge that, not before everybody, but just acknowledge it before me. Our scripture encourages you to acknowledge this decision, to acknowledge the Lord before men. And so how about you just, you and I have this little moment where I can acknowledge that because I want to celebrate with you And we would love if you'll let us to be a part of your ongoing journey of learning what it looks like to walk with Jesus in your life, to grow in your relationship with him and with other believers around you. Like, is there anybody in here this morning that is making that choice to follow Jesus and confessing him as Lord of their life for the first time? Would you slide your hand up for just a second so I can see you and I'll acknowledge you and then you can put it back down. Is there anybody in here this morning that's in that spot? you is there anyone who's in that very real place of transition in their heart this morning and now you know Jesus is your Lord for the first time for real Lord I thank you for your word and your promises and I thank you that it is not only lasting but it is everlasting Father, we need you. We need to be transformed by you. We need our hope restored by you. We need physical healing from you. We need psychological, emotional, spiritual healing from you. God, we need you in all the stuff. We need you to lead our businesses through us, Lord. We need you to sustain godly relationships through us. We need you to be the Lord of all the stuff. We need you to show us how to submit to your leadership and all this stuff. We like to be the king of our own circle, but God, you are the only one worthy of wearing the crown. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. I thank you for the many who have and will come to know you in a real and authentic way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.